Jesus. Amen. If you've got elementary age kids, we would love to have them be a part of our Vine Kids Time. Uh, and go out that back door right out this side door. I'd love to have them be a part of what we have going on this morning. Well, welcome again. If you are here for the first time, we want to tell you what a privilege it is to have you in worship with us. Welcome to the Vine Community Church. We are honored and glad that you're here. Um, it is our privilege to have you with us. Our, our whole goal this morning for you is that you would people would be nice to you and you'd have an encounter with the risen Christ. Like that's us in a nutshell. We would love for that to be your experience here. Um, and so uh, we are glad that you're here if you're visiting family or friends or if you're just here for the first time. We're grateful. Uh, those of you that we haven't seen in a while, it's great to have you back. I feel like every week we see somebody I haven't seen in a while after this year. And so we're, we're just excited that God continues to draw us back together. So we have been, for the past 11 or so weeks, into this study of the book of Hebrews. And it's, it's a challenge. In fact, last week or two weeks ago, if you were here, I told you the book of Hebrews is almost unpreachable. Like, it's just such a challenge because it deserves so much more than we can give it on a Sunday morning. It's designed to be kind of moved through and chewed up and digested and time spent with it. And we're glossing over some of these incredibly deep theological truths and it makes preaching the book really hard because I want to go so much deeper or make these big moves and we just really can't. But it, it deserves that. But it was really written or actually it was preached. Most people believe that it was actually a sermon as opposed to a a letter, like a lot of Paul's letters. We don't know who the author is, but it was written or preached to a group of Jewish Christians who are facing a very specific set of struggles, which we'll get into uh, today a little bit more. They're facing these struggles, and our author is reminding them of really two things, Christ's supremacy and Christ's sufficiency. If you had to kind of pin me down, the entire book surrounds those two things, Christ's sufficiency, meaning he is in all things and he is sufficient for all things. We need nothing else. We do not need more of anything else. We just need Jesus. He is totally sufficient. We do not need to work our way. We do not need to plan our way. We do not need to prove our way. We don't need to log in. We don't need anything else. We just need Jesus. He is holy and completely sufficient. The second thing is that idea of the supremacy of Christ, meaning that Jesus is above all things. And we see our author really working us through these ideas. If you've been here at all over the past 11 weeks, you will see that he's, he's shown us that Jesus is better than the angels. Spent a lot of chapter 1 explaining just why. That Jesus is better than the law. That Jesus is better than Moses. And then two weeks ago, we opened up this idea that Jesus is better than the high priest. He is the only and great high priest we'll ever need. And so the author of Hebrews is proving a point to these Jewish Christians that all of their past history and traditions that Jesus is better and greater and sufficient and completely above all of those pieces. And two weeks ago, we stepped into this idea of the high priest, and we talked about the role of the high priest and, and why Jesus is the great high priest, because he's experienced our sufferings. He's experienced true submission to the will of God. We went through all those things a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't been here for any of those, I really do encourage you to jump on the website. You can either listen to the podcast or you can watch the videos or whatever, but to just get caught up because there's a lot of depth in there. And so this morning, we're picking up in that section on the high priest, right? It starts in, in chapter 4. It's actually going to end in chapter 7, uh, where Jesus is going to use all of his time to kind of explain why Jesus is the only mediator we will ever need. We do not need a never, another go-between ever between us and holy, majestic, mighty God. We have Jesus. But this morning, it takes a little bit of an interesting turn, because our author has, or our speaker has, what I call really a thought pause, a, a place where he just stops before he goes on and says, before I kind of continue, I need to address something. So before we continue to talk about the depth of this idea of the high priest, 
I need to get something else off my chest. And, and if you know what that's like, right, then you understand the idea of this thought pause. You're into this train of thought, you're dispensing a bunch of wisdom, and then all of a sudden you have this thing that pops in your head and you go, I can't continue till I address this. And that happens to me all the time. Uh, when I'm dispensing my beautiful wisdom to my 16-year-old, for example, and I'm talking to him about all these kind of things that he needs to do, and then all of a sudden I think, you've got to quit shoving cans and chip bags into your dresser drawer because you don't want to walk to the trash can six feet away. You've got to stop that, right? And then I continue with my dispensing of wisdom. It's that sort of pause where he's listening to none of it. However, it's important for me to get this off my chest, to say, I can't keep telling you to not do that, right? And so this is kind of what's happening in Hebrews. He's dispensing this incredible, deep theological wisdom, and he just says, stop for a minute. I need to address this problem before we can even get to what I want to continue to say. And that's what we're going to pick up. And this thought pause, this sort of kind of redirect, uh, and we're going to look at this first part today, the second part next week, and then we're going to continue on that idea of Hebrews and the great high priest. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be at the end of chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 or 14 there, and then we're going to pick up in 6-1 and just go for those three verses. So like six or seven verses this morning on this sort of incredible thought pause that our speaker has um, that's going to fuel some ideas about some of the str- uh, struggles and challenges that we're facing with Jewish Christians and that truly, truly are facing that you and I are facing as well. So let's take a moment and let's just pray together. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive, that it's living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates even dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and you tell us that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. What that means is that your word is alive. It is you. An encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We do not take it lightly. Lord, we realize that we live in a culture that has taken the word of God and used it as a supplement to our life. The pieces that we like, the pieces that we think we need, the pieces that are encouragement, we embrace those, Lord. But the parts that go against culture, that go against my feelings, that go against what I believe or that push against tolerance at all costs, Lord, we ignore. And the reality is, is that we don't get that luxury because the truth is, is that your word is a complete picture of who you are. It is your love letter. It is the redemptive picture of the gospel from start to finish. And every part of it is alive. And so, Lord, we want to become in love with it. We want to wrestle with it. We want to struggle with it. We want to, we want to fight with it. We want to engage it. We want to be convicted by it. We want to know it. And so, Lord, I pray that as we teach through Hebrews and as we examine these verses this morning, you would convict and empower our hearts. That you would help us develop a love affair for your word and in turn a love affair with you. Take a moment in your own heart, just as you sit here this morning, and just ask the Lord to teach you. We do this each week. We want to be open to being taught by God. So ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. Something that you just need to hear, ask the Holy Spirit to press that onto your heart. Just, Lord, teach me. Take a moment pray for someone beside you. In front of you, behind you, around you, anywhere in your vicinity. We want to be a church that is deeply in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is just not about you and your entertainment or your enjoyment. We want you to be active and wanting to see the people around you know Christ. And so pray for them. Pray for your husband or your wife, or maybe you don't even know that person, or maybe you're for the first time and you think it's kind of weird. Just, just pray anyway. Just say, God, I want you to move in people. We have no idea what the people next to us are walking through or going through or experiencing. And so just pray for them.
Lord, we turn our morning over to you. For the next moments, we ask you to teach us through your Holy Spirit. We do not invite you into this place, Lord. You are already here. There's nowhere that we can go to escape your presence. You are in the very air that we breathe. And so, Lord, we just want to draw you in. We want you to fill us, and we want you to teach our souls. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So chapter 5, verse 11, is in the middle of this, this section. It's like 414 through 728, where he's really going to be expounding on this idea of the high priest, really spending some time there. And the reason he spends a lot of time there is that it's really complicated. It's super challenging. We, two weeks ago, I really tried to explain this to you, that we're on this kind of glass-bottom boat ride where we're, we're going across the water and we can point out a few things here or there, but we don't really understand the depth of it until we really get under the water. And, and, and Hebrews is deep and it's challenging and it's theological theologically powerful, and it's persuasive, and we've got to spend some time with it, but, but it's a real book that needs attention. And so our author, our speaker, actually addresses that. He recognizes these deep theological truths. He's trying to teach these Hebrew Christians, and yet he's running into a problem. So let's look at 5.11 through 6.3 this morning. Now, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, through, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, constant, who, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So the first part of 11, we see this tie-in sentence. We have much to say about this. Now, it's actually a connector sentence to what we talked about two weeks ago because he's launched into this deep theological kind of dive into the role of the high priest and why we no longer need a go-between for us and holy God. We have the ultimate mediator in Jesus Christ, that he is the ultimate high priest. And not only is he the ultimate high priest, he's the only one we'll ever need. He's experienced suffering. He comes from heaven. He knows what we've gone through. We went through all of these pieces. And he goes through all that. And then he just stops in the middle and he just says, I have so much to say about this, but I got to get this off my chest. I have to have you hear me because we have a major problem. And so before he picks up this idea, this deep, continued thought on the high priest, he has to address this glaring problem that he's looking at as he preaches to this group of Hebrew Christians. And he says, we've got a problem. And he really frames it in two sections that we're going to see this morning. The first is those verses in 5, and the second is that portion in 6. And the first one is this idea we're going to need to refocus, and the second portion is the idea that we're going to need to grow. And he's looking at this group of Hebrew Christians and he realizes there's a pretty significant problem going on. And he addresses it in a very strong rebuke where he basically says, I can't keep teaching you this because you have become slow to learn. And that really actually translates as dull of hearing. So both ways actually work. We're actually going to see it used as lazy one other time in chapter 6. But that, that Greek phrase really just means that you, you're unable to learn. You are dull of hearing. You have become spiritually or somewhat lazy in those regards. And so he says, here's the reason we need to refocus, refocus, is that because you have become slow to learn. 
dull of hearing. Now, there's not something physically wrong with the Hebrew Christians, right? They can hear just fine. They're not stupid. Most of these people are very educated. Um, he's not telling them that there's some kind of developmental disability. He's actually talking about something much different. It's only that, that phrase is only used one other time, and it's in Hebrews 6.12. And if I'll, I'll jump over there real quick. It's, we'll see it next week. He says, listen, we do not want you to become lazy. That's that same phrase that's used to say dull of hearing or slow to learn. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised of God. So he says, listen, here's the problem you're facing. You become slow to learn, dull of hearing. You've become spiritually lazy. You want to know why? Because you have forgotten to imitate those that are leaning into what God has promised. You have forgotten along the way that there are deep things that God wants to do and speak to your heart, and you have become content with what is on the surface. In other words, you have become content with just what you want to hear. And he says, I can't keep teaching you these deep theological truths when you can't even engage in the essential things that it takes to follow Christ. You are slow to learn. You have allowed your heart to become hard. You have allowed your hearing to become dull, and you have become spiritually lazy. And this is a rebuke. It is not a, hey, we need to pick this up. It is a, as I'm looking at you and as I'm preaching these things and I'm teaching these things, I'm looking at a group of people whose hearts have become hard. And you've become slow to learn. So we have to refocus because we become incredibly slow to learn and dull of hearing. And this happens to all of us. We become complacent with our Christian lives. We become very, very comfortable. It happened to a lot of us during COVID. We become very comfortable with our rhythms on Sunday mornings. Right? Maybe or maybe not. I'll read my Bible some. We may catch a podcast here or there. But the rhythms of my Christian life became something that developed into real comfortable attributes. And I would wonder how many during this time, this past year and a half, would say that our faith was fully alive. Or if we developed rhythms of mediocrity, if we developed rhythms that sort of touched the places that we felt like we kind of needed to make sure we were still spiritually in check, but really just operating in a place of heart of heart, not angry, not mad, not furious at God, just living in the middle. Lack of passion right in the middle of mediocrity. We become spiritually lazy, slow to learn, dull of hearing. And that happens because we're not engaging our faith. So he says, listen, we've got to refocus. Here's our first problem. You have become slow to learn. You just have. He says, listen, in fact, though by this time many of you ought to be teachers, but some of you need to be taught the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So he says, listen, we've got to address the problem. The problem is you become slow to learn, and here's really the issue, is that some of you should be teachers. These are not baby Christians. They're not brand new. These are not people that just kind of engaged in God's truths a few hours ago. He's looking at them saying, by now in your walk with faith, walk with God, you should be teaching these things to other people. You should be teachers. You should be standing where I am teaching people about the greatness of God. And what's happened is that you can't because you are infants where you are still stuck on spiritual milk and you need someone to come back in and teach you the elementary truths again because you can't handle the deep things because you're not engaging in that part of your life and heart. He says you are infants and you should be adults. You need to be taught again when you should be teaching 
And a lot of us spend a huge portion of our spiritual life here. A massive portion of our spiritual life. That we've been walking with Christ for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. That we should be teachers of God's word. Do you think I have some kind of special talent because I went to a crummy seminary? They didn't teach me anything. They just took my money. Right? And then taught me some Hebrew and Greek that I forgot and had to go back and relearn. But my engagement with God's word became, it was because I engaged with God's word. And I learned history, but you can learn history anywhere. The reality is that once we mature in our walk with the Lord, we should be in a place where we're teaching people. We should be in a place where it's pouring out of it. Most of us spend our time just kind of complacent, slow to listen, slow to hear, slow to learn. And we're okay there. And we need a time where we stop and go, we shouldn't have to be taught this basics over and over and over again. Our faith is alive and you're either actively growing or you're actively dying. That is the truth about our spiritual lives. It does not exist or it is not created to exist as a stagnant middle. Your faith is either growing or it's dying. It is a fully alive, functional thing. And he says, most of you that I'm preaching to, our problem is that I'm going to address, the reason you've become slow to learn is because you're adults who are still drinking milk. And he goes, and that's actually a problem. It's actually a disease of complacency. Because then if you're an adult, if I'm a 39-year-old man, again, right, and I'm still drinking milk, I'm not healthy. But at 39 plus 7 or so, I should be eating food, real food. But if I'm trying to survive on milk as an infant at this age, I am unhealthy and I've got a major problem. And I can't expect to be fully functional. And that's basically what he's saying. He says, so many of you are adults trying to drink milk and you need to start over. Because you need to be at a place of maturity. And he says, so here's how you get here, right? You've got to train yourself to get out of the place that you are. Listen to that last verse in 5. He says, but solid food, actually it's starting in 13. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with, the teach, acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So you can't understand the fullness of God if you're an adult drinking milk. He said, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So solid food, now we're going to just cram this metaphor into the ground, but solid food is for the adult who has trained themselves, right? Who has grown and trained themselves literally to be able to distinguish things like good from evil. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the essentials, the small, the spiritual kind of things that you would call spiritual milk for infants, those things are important. And they're valuable. And by engaging them and drinking them and putting them into our body, it leads us to a place of growth by which we train ourselves to eat different things. By which we move forward. By which by the natural progression of life, we build strength and we move into taking on other foods. And we grow and we develop and we become fully functional, mature Christians. By which we're able to do things like distinguish good from evil. Which is one of the kind of hierarchy kind of pinnacles of what it means to be a mature believer. That we can look into the world and we have such a depth of knowledge of God's heart and a depth of knowledge of God's word that we know what is right and wrong. And not just from a murder or not murder standpoint, but from a moral standpoint. But instead, we allow our hearts to be lied to by culture. We allow our hearts to be lied to by ourselves. We take God's word and we put it over there because we're not engaged with it. 
And we live in a place of complacency and dull of hearing. But he said that when you engage and you build up on those essentials and you take more and you eat more and you develop and you do the things that adults do, like mature people do, they eat solid food, you begin to recognize the true richness of who God is and you train yourself to be different. In other words, you get actively involved in God's word. You know it, you read it, you pray it, you act it, you believe it. It's what growing mature believers do. They engage with God, they engage with his word to a point where they know it and it becomes an active part of their soul and they're able to distinguish the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy spreads in our heart because they know it so deeply. But he stops and he says, we can't even talk about the high priest because you've become so slow to learn. You've forgotten the elementary age truth, or elementary truth where you should be teaching people, but instead you're not even recognizing yourself because you haven't trained yourself to become an adult. Instead, you have sat in a place where you've allowed your spiritual life to just be entertained. And you're okay with it. And our author says, you're sick. And not in a perverted way, but in like a, an unhealthy way. It's not healthy for you to be an adult 10, 5, 12, 2, 3 years into your Christian faith and not have a faith that is alive that is vibrant, that is breathing and active, that knows good from evil, that is engaged in God and his word. It's not okay to be an adult and live in the middle of mediocrity. But if you're not fully alive, then somewhere along the way, we are really, really unhealthy and we need to refocus. It's why we constantly try and push you into God's word. I can't do anything for you. I don't want to do anything for you. I want you to engage God's word. It's transformational. So the first thing that we see in that section is, here's the problem. We've got to refocus. So many of us, so many of us have become slow to learn. And we should be teachers. We should be adults. And so we've got to retrain ourselves. In other words, it's not too late to pick up the Bible and say, this is the summer I engage in it and I, become a, I, I just develop my heart in it. I pray. I act it. I live it. I become, it becomes who I am. And I want to be at a place where God unveils just the giant things of life to me. Can you imagine being in a place where you were so in tune with the Holy Spirit of God that you were able to distinguish by his grace and Holy Spirit good from evil? And I'm not just talking about like, that guy's bad, he shot somebody. This guy's bad, he did heroin. But this person's nice. I'm talking about the real depth of good and evil. Like the heartbeat and character and nature of God. This is what God wants to lavish on us. He wants us to know his heart. He actually wants us to have the mind of Christ. We've been given it. If you read Philippians 2, we have been given the mind of Christ as followers of him. But we have to actively engage it, train ourselves. So we've got to refocus. The second part of this is going to be built around this idea of we've got to grow. We have to. And this is what he says in 6.1. We'll go down through those four, three verses. Therefore, right, because of all that that I just told you, therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So he says, listen, we have got to pursue growth. And the first part of that, he says, you've got to leave the elementary and press into maturity. So at first glance, you may say, no, wait a minute, isn't that contradictory? Didn't he just say that they need the elementary truth? They need someone to teach them. And now he's saying they've got to leave the elementary truths. 
not really contradictory, it's the same thing. It's, based, or it's the idea of saying, yes, we need that, but we can't live there. You need the elementary truths. You need to be reminded of the goodness and the greatness and the gospel truth, but you cannot just live there and say, I'm content with just taking this in every single Sunday. At some point in time, my faith has to become active and mature and alive, which means I can't live in just having my spiritual ears tickled. I've got to engage in depth. And sadly, our churches are not helping us. On Sunday morning, our pulpits are filled with people that are geared towards wanting you to come back. And so we create and craft sermon series designed to entertain you so that you can walk out feeling a little better about yourself, but not bad enough to not want to return. And so what we do is we skip the passages that are hard, the ones that we don't have to deal with, and the ones that are going to put us in a weird place culturally, and we engage the ones that are easy to preach. You know how you break that? You decide you're going to preach through Hebrews. And then you run headlong into a whole list of problems. But that's the wholeness of God's word. That we have to move beyond the elementary. At some point in time, we have to move into questions that are deep and that are hard. And we have to wrestle with them. Like, where is God in my suffering? We have to deal with the real things of faith. And they are the things that mature us and press us into fully trusting who he is. You have to deal with the complexities of Jesus as the high priest and why we no longer need to go into a confessional booth so that a human can hear our, our confessions. That we have Jesus, the only mediator we will ever need. We have to deal with the complexities of that. And if you remember, these Jewish Christians are facing incredibly challenging things. And that's what he gets to in the second part. So he says, you've got to push beyond the elementary and into maturity so that you don't build on the wrong foundations again. Now listen to this group of people he's talking to. He's talking to this group of Jewish Christians that is facing incredible pressure from the people around him. We're talking about cultural pressure. We're talking about family pressure. We're talking about personal pressure. For their entire lives, they have lived in a culture that essentially has told them, in order to please God, you have to live according to this law. And you have to do it flawlessly. And then they meet this Jesus. And Jesus tells them not only is he the fulfillment of that, but they no longer have to keep that. All they have to do is trust and believe in him. And so these Jewish Christians are looking at their family and their community saying, your entire belief system is wrong unless you engage it with Jesus. Because Jesus is the fulfillment and the culmination of that. He is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And they say, no, you're a blasphemer. And you're not welcome in this family, this community, as long as you proclaim that this human rabbi is God. And so they're facing incredible pressure from this group of people saying, not only should you return to the Jewish faith, but you should walk away from Christ because that, old, that way of thinking is wrong and it's sinful. And they're going, no, I met Jesus, literally and sometimes kind of metaphorically, I met Christ and he changed me. And they're saying, no, that's wrong. Return to your family if you want to live with us. Be in this community. You need to reject that. And the entire book of Hebrews is pushing against this idea that we should re remove ourselves from the Christian faith and return to something else. That's what they were facing. You and I probably, most of us will not face that pressure in our lifetime. We may face a parent or a friend that says you're crazy or you're a Bible thumper or whatever it is. But most of us will never face the pressure of saying you're not welcome here until you reject Jesus. But that's what they were facing. And so what our author does here is he says, listen, you're, you can't lay the wrong foundation again. And he list, makes this list. right? He says, 
He says, you got to press on to maturity, not again laying the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So all of that list, they don't sound bad at first when you just first hear it, man, laying on of hands, baptism, instructions on all those things. Those are all tenets of the Christian faith. But they're also places, and they're very selective and important list of where the Jewish faith and the Christian faith collide. Different views on those things because the Christians see Jesus as a fulfillment of all those things. And in most cases, the Jewish people were still waiting. They were still living in anticipation. And they were ritualized. And in the Christian faith, Jesus is the culmination of those. He's a supremacy, he's sufficient. And so when these Jewish Christians were being converted, when we, we were being taught about Christ, they most likely were being using these things as tenets to say, these things that you believe have actually been fulfilled in Christ like he is the reason for baptism. He is the reason that we talk about an eternal life outside of earth. He is the reason for all of these things. And our author is basically saying you can return to the foundation of pre-Christ. And it's a foundation of death. Because just to know about these things or to know about Christ does not lead us to life. See, the end goal of the Christian faith is not to know about Jesus at all. It's to know Jesus. And there's a huge difference, right? In fact, there's a petrifying verse in Matthew chapter 7 and Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount and people come to him and they say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Like, did we do all these things for you? And Jesus says, yeah, and I will look at him at that time and I'll say, away from me, evildoers, because I did not know you. In other words, we can engage in the acts of the Christian life all day long. You can come to church all day long. It's much about being saved as it does riding a bike. Knowledge about Christ leads us nowhere. Knowledge of Jesus leads us to eternal life. And essentially what he's saying is we can build all the wrong foundations. I mean, you can go to church your whole life. You can show up at every prayer meeting they've ever had, and if you don't know Jesus, it's all hollow. Heck, you could be baptized. You could give great instructions on life and death. But if you don't know Christ, you've built on the wrong foundation. It says to Jewish people, again, meaning that's how your life was. And yet now you're mature and you're growing and you should know. Don't rebuild on that same stuff. And it's the same thing for, for you and for me. Like We've been given this incredible awareness in Christ. He has grown us. We've been saved. We've been rescued. Don't let us build on old foundations of death, which are foundations of infancy. Hard of heart, slow learning, dull hearing, complacency, places where we just say, you know what, I, I'm okay where I am. I never want to be at a place in my Christian life where those words come out of my mouth, I'm okay where I am. The Christian life is an entire movement of growing towards Jesus, and there is no end. He is perfect and majestic and holy, and the idea of sanctification is this incredible ongoing process of growing into Christ. And if you think one day you have achieved Christ, you're wrong. Always growing into maturity. So the foundation we build upon is that the elementary truths lead us to a deep passion to know God more. The idea that God has saved you and redeemed you and rescued you should lead us to want to know why God would want to do that. A God that says, I promise to never leave you nor forsake you. She wants to press into him saying, how do I trust you with my whole life? A God that says that I will never fail you. We should be, cl we should be clamoring to say, how do I give you all of my resources and my family?
Like, how do I believe and fully release control to you? We have to be at a place where we're pushing to grow past the elementary, past the old foundations of death that say, I just want to know about Jesus, or I just want to know about church, or I just want to go somewhere I feel good. Push past that. Those lead nowhere and into foundations of life. And then finally, he wraps this whole thing up by saying this great little verse in 13 where he just says, and God permitting, we will do so. The last part of that whole deal is just this idea that our author says, here's where we're going to rest. We're going to rest in the beautiful sovereignty of God. So we're going to do all the work. We're going to press and we're going to push and we're going to train and we're going to read and we're going to do all these things. And we're going to trust and we're going to do everything that we can. But at the end of the day, we don't get ourselves to who Jesus is. We don't save ourselves. We don't perform for ourselves. None of this is on us. It's on God taking initiation with humanity and drawing us into himself. Everything in our life is up to the will and the permission of God. And our author's not threatened by this at all. He actually finds it an incredible place to rest. He just says, I'm going to do the things I'm called to do. I'm going to push myself and I'm going to push you to not be dull of hearing, to not be slow of learning, to not be spiritually lazy, to push past the elementary, to train yourself, to fall in love with God's word, to all these things, to not build up foundations of death. And God willing, it'll happen. He doesn't say that we're going to get all of these things as a result of our hard work. Faith is a gift. It is given. And sometimes God gives it incredible abundance, and sometimes it's slow, easy steps. God works in majestic, mighty in mysterious ways. But he finds incredible solace in this idea that God is in control no matter what. He's on his throne. Nothing will remove him. And so God willing, you know what? We will. And this is the way that we're called to approach our, our faith. God, I trust you. I believe you. I'm pushing past the elementary. I want to grow in maturity. I want to know your word. <clears throat> I'm hungry to know you. God, show me yourself. And after I do all of these things, I'm just going to rest in the place that you are in total and absolute control, which means if it doesn't all go the way that I want it to, I don't throw out my faith. I don't turn around and be like, God blew it, man. I did all these things. And he did nothing for me. He just says, look, I'll do the things that God's called me to because I want to know him, and God willing, it'll be. If it happens in a different way, then I'm still going to trust the Lord. And there's not a, a whisper here in our author of fear. It's just trust. And this really, this idea of the sovereignty of God is one of the incredible doctrines of the Christian faith, which is God is always and totally in control of all things. There is nothing outside of his control and will. Nothing. There's not one part of your life that is truly out of control. No matter what you feel or what you think, there is not one part of your life that is out of control. Now, maybe your control, but not God's control. And it is a beautiful place to rest because no matter what happens in this crazy world, whether it's pandemics or it's politics or whatever it is, God is still and always will be in control. And God willing, it will be. And that's where we rest. And we find beautiful solitude in that place. So what our author's addressing with this group of people is really what's happening in our hearts some 2,000 years later as well. A lot of us have become complacent. We've become okay with mediocre spiritual rhythms, with the elementary things of the Christian life. But God desires so much more for us. He wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to exercise the mind of Christ. 
He wants to give us this incredible picture of things like the ability to know his heart well enough that we know the difference between good and evil. He wants us to push past the elementary, not just say, I'm okay with showing up at church every Sunday, feeling a little good about myself, and then not opening up God's word again until the next week. He wants us to reject that. To push into maturity and say, God, I'm going to step out in an incredible act of faith and I'm going to trust you with my finances, my life, my job, my career, my family, whatever it is. I'm going to trust you even though I am petrified because you are good and you call me too. And I'm not going to lay the foundations of death again that say, I just want to know enough about you to feel good, but I want to know you intimately. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm just going to rest in you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you are always in control even when it doesn't go according to my plan and even when I can't put my finger on it always. I'm going to rest in your beautiful sovereignty. And this is what our author's addressing with this group of people. I want to teach you all these deep things, but you got to stop for a minute and not be okay with living in the middle. We're going to pick up the second part of this next week. We're going to continue this idea of what it takes to truly protect ourselves from falling away. And then he's going to pick back up into the deep and wild. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and just the truth that comes from the fact that 2,000 years ago, people were dealing with the same things I'm dealing with today. It's just true. There's a lot of fear and pressure from the outside. There's a lot of anxiety. There's also a lot of just spiritual dullness, complacency, slow to learn, dull of hearing, lazy. God, I am spiritually lazy. And truthfully, I'm spiritually afraid at times. But yet you call us to so much more that we should be teachers. And most of us in this room should be at a place where we're walking with the Lord enough to where we could be teaching people, whoever they are, about the goodness and greatness of God. And yet we become just complacent in our spiritual infancy, taking milk and we should be eating solid food and we're not healthy. But push us into the deep and wild things of who you are. The things that require active and faith that is alive that push us beyond our imagination, past the elementary and deep into maturity, not laying foundations that we came from, but laying foundations of life that know you. And at the end of the day, through everything, if God permits, it will be. And we just find beautiful rest there. So Lord, convict our hearts this morning. Push us to become people of maturity and depth, to know the God who made us which is completely and totally doable through Jesus Christ. You have given us access to your incredible holy character through the person of Jesus. He is you, the representation and the manifestation of you. He is God. He is the great high priest. He is completely sufficient. And he is completely supreme. He is in all and through all, and in him all things hold together, and we have access to your fullness through Jesus. And so, Lord, make that truth resonate in our hearts as we become people that want to press past the elementary into maturity. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. This last song is uh, written from a verse that's really core to what we're talking about today, and I'd like us all to read it together. 
Uh, it's from 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's, let's um, read this together as a family this morning. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what we're talking about this morning. The Lord loves us where we are, but he doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to inhabit the changes he's making in us. He wants us to embrace them. 